often, Black women are a mere afterthought in conversations around wellness, but not in this space. On this podcast, the dialogue is always centered around women like you. Welcome to the podcast, but more importantly, welcome to the tribe. Be well, sis. In what ways do you consistently cultivate joy in your daily life? Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Be Well Sis podcast. I am your host, Cassandra Dunbar. How is life treating you? But more importantly, how have you been treating yourself? I really, really hope that you're well and that your spirits are lifted now that the days are longer and the temperatures are starting to warm up here in the U.S. So today's episode marks the beginning of the author series by speaking to a woman that I was incredibly excited to speak to. In addition to being an author, she is a Black feminist historian and associate professor of women's gender and sexuality studies at Ohio State University. She is the recipient of several awards and fellowships, including the inaugural University of Missouri Faculty Achievement and Diversity Award and the inaugural Equity for Women and Girls of Color Fellowship at Harvard University. She's written for outlets such as The Washington Post, Time, NBC News, Bustle, Al Jazeera, BET, Complex, Vox, The Root, Huffington Post, Pop Sugar. Teen Vogue, The Griot, Zora, Women's Media Center, and Cosmo. Wow. <laughs> She's also been a featured commentator and expert on MSNBC, Al Jazeera, BET, Black News Channels, PBS, NPR, and CNN. Listen, when I tell you I was so geeked to talk to her, like that's an understatement. I had to contain myself. Um I mean, I hope I didn't put her off too much, (laughs) but today's uh, guest is, is Dr. Treva Lindsay, just authored a new book called America Goddamn, Violence, Black Women, and the Struggle for Justice, which is out today. This book chronicles multiple forms of violence against Black women and girls in the 21st century and illuminates their fight for liberation against it. With this book, Dr. Lindsay compels readers to sit with how the U.S. has failed Black women and girls by interweaving personal accounts, hard-hitting analysis, history, and current events. Her book, as well as this conversation, touch on very difficult subjects, such as intercommunal violence, the consequences of the strong Black woman trope, the medical industrial system, and the other ways in which this country has failed us. But this conversation isn't all doom and gloom. Dr. Lindsay shares that she advocates for us to fiercely seek joy and love, especially because of the systems that are hell-bent on robbing that of us. You know, a few weeks ago, I was talking to my therapist and I was asking her, when would I be at peace? I used the word peace, but what I was really asking was, when would everything in my life be perfect? She understood that and gave me the answer that really helped me to put things into perspective. She said, truly being at peace isn't when we're without stressors or challenges, but being at peace is when even though there are challenges present, we're able to cultivate stillness, joy, and pockets of peace despite the chaos of the world. And I think Dr. Lindsay implores the same of us. While her book tells the stories that exemplify the harsh realities of being a Black woman in America, she also shares a tenderness with which we should approach each other and ourselves. What I loved about this convo is just how down to earth she is. <laughs> it was like having one of those deep conversations that you've had with a homegirl after you shared a few drinks or something else. And he's sharing the ways in which things are tough and 
how just effed up things are, but you also find laughter and you and even in, in sharing your hardships, you, you find ways to laugh and and, and giggle because that's what we do. <laughs> so let's get into the conversation. But before we do, just a reminder for you to support the podcast by leaving a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a beautiful conversation and a reminder for it, us to make it a priority to seek joy. So without further ado, thanks so much for joining. I am so, so glad you're here. Be well, sis. Okay. So today I am just going to try my best not to be um, a geek and not to fan out, but I have Treva Lindsay on with us. She is an author, writer, extraordinaire, professor, all of the things. And she has a new book that will be out very soon. If not, um, by the time this airs, it's already out and ready for purchase. It's called America Goddamn, Violence, Black Women, and the Struggle for Justice. The name in itself says a lot, but let me reel it back in. How are you today? Thank you for joining. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. I am doing pretty well, just in, I'm in a grading marathon right now. So hopefully be done with that soon and just get a little bit of pleasure going on and focus on that wellness, that be yes. well, sis vibes, yes. post getting those grades submitted. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Are you going to do any traveling at all? Or is it going to be like a staycation to just... Recenter. It is mostly a staycation, but I have two of my girlfriends coming to visit for yes. a few days. So I'm very excited now that, you know, there's a little bit of room to safely-ish move around. Um, having a couple of my friends in my space. I have very few people in my space for the last two years. So I'm looking forward to hosting and cooking and laughing and yes. just being with my sisters, you yes. know. Yes. You know, I feel like I have underestimated the power of just being with your girls. Um, me, Ooh. well, yeah, um, my husband comes from a really big family and his family is super warm and open and he has like 50, 11 cousins. So all the women, <laughs> um, all the women try, it hasn't been every year because of the pandemic, but we try to get together without the kids, no husbands, like we rent out a space and just, just chill in a different city. And this year um, I was like, I didn't want to go because I was just, I was in a bad space. I was very burnt out and just down. So I'm like, I don't want to bring my shitty energy to the space. I'm like, I'm just going to stay home. They're like, girl, if you don't come down here, like don't play with me. <laughs> So, don't play don't play don't play, don't play. <laughs> right so I went and it was for three days and it was just so nice I, like the way my spirit was just I needed it so so much so I'm I'm happy for you I hope you have the best Thank and I know you. you will have a good time with your girls because we need that sisterhood you, we do we do mm -hmm. it makes a world of difference and it's the thing it is always just reparative restorative it's all the things you needed to be. And it's in those moments like, I don't feel like being around anybody's probably when you need it the most. Yes. Just to remind you who you yes. are and the village that you move through this world with. Yes. And that is so important. And I think after two years of so much loss, so much grief, um, so much has changed and so much is still changing. In, on top of the things that were already in the world that were difficult before this moment. 
I think we just have to lean closer to those moments and the intimacies that we form with our loved ones, chosen and otherwise. Yes, yes, so beautifully put. So I want to jump into the book. Um, so there's, I was looking through the the title chapters, and it just speaks to so many different, but really hard hitting, heavy subject matter. What inspires you? What was the catalyst that said, you know what, I'm going to put pen to paper and write this book about this specific um, topic? Well, I'd always been thinking about violence against Black women and girls, first as a survivor of multiple forms of violence myself, and then as someone who was trained as a Black feminist historian to look and find the stories that we often don't hear, not because they're not there, not because they're insignificant, but because we do well to create narratives that erase, we create narratives that really show the inhumanity of other people, but our, our attempts to dehumanize Black people, marginalized people, Black women, Black queer women, Black disabled women. And so I wanted to be someone who was in conversation with this violence and also with the resistance to this violence. And I took that charge from Ntozake Shange's For Colored Girls Who Considered Suicide, The Rainbow Is Enough, the charge to handle her warmly. And so what would it mean to do such an intense history and an intense personal excavation? Because a lot of what I talk about in the book is also mirrored in my own experiences. What would it mean to do that warmly? What would it mean to write a book about violence that is still somehow life affirming? Mm. What would it mean to look at these various ways that so many of us are predisposed towards premature death and serious injury and unlivable living. How can I do that in a way that at the end, you're still like, I wanna ride out for black girls. I wanna ride out for black women and gender expansive people. And so I've been writing about violence against black women for years and had started really doing more public facing writing around 2014, 2015 when many of us were awakened by the uprising in Ferguson and just seeing shot after shot of Black people being gunned down, being harmed, so many stories of sexual violence and just neglect that converged. And it felt like the right time to put pen to paper and to figure out a practice by which I could write my own story in conjunction with the story of far too many Black women and girls who experience violence and violation. Yeah, and, and as you write things that hit home, not only for you, but for so many of us collectively, and as you're doing your research and just pouring into the book, how did you create space where you didn't bring, like just be brought down by so much heaviness? Yeah, that's such a great question. So initially I didn't have a practice and that was terrible. <laughs> that <laughs> was the worst. I, I, I felt it, it was in my body. It was, it was sitting with me in a way that not only weighed me down but I could feel my body deteriorating as I was writing this because I was sitting with my grief, the grief of others, the grief yet to come 
um, the grief of ancestors. And so I had to take a step back from the project. I'd been working and researching this project since about 2016. And I took about a year and a half away from the research, from everything and said, I need to develop a practice. And I'm a dancer by training. So one of the ways that I began to develop that practice is like, how do I want to move around this project? How do I want to find the rhythm of this project? And what does that mean on a day-to-day basis when I have to either put pen to paper or finger to keys to get this done? And that meant I don't wake up and write about this and I don't go to sleep writing about this. So it's not the first thing I'm thinking about or the last thing. I watch a lot of television. I talk to my folks. I love all my folks. And a lot of this book was written during the pandemic. A good portion of this book as the writing practice was during the pandemic. And so while I was home by myself and thinking through these things, I knew I couldn't sit all day and know I couldn't have touch after or be with another black woman, girl or gender expansive person after I finished writing. So I had to be very disciplined around cutting myself off and committing to a pleasure practice as I was writing this project. That I am also writing for the worlds that I want to exist. I'm writing for a me in the future, a black girls in the future where this violence isn't part of an expected reality or an expected future. And so I wanna write into that world. I wanna write that joy into that world, that hope into that world, that play, um, that sensation into the world of ecstasy. And so ecstasy was a great motivator for this project, right? That we deserve it. Um, And even when we're gunned down, assaulted, brutalized, maligned, that we still find ways to affirm and create joy in a world that is so hell-bent on rendering us joyless. Yes. And um, to be honest, I've just been more intentional about seeking joy myself. I think because of the way I was raised, um, I... Like we were taught that, yes, it's it's hard to be a black person. It's hard to be a black woman and you have to work 10 times harder for a fraction. And I really carried that. And I just thought, well, this is just what it means to be a black woman in this world, particularly in this country. And that's that. And there might be little joy in that. And that's what it is. But now I'm just like, no, like you said, the world is hell bent on making things way difficult and robbing me of that joy, I need to make sure I go out of my way to find that joy, no matter how simple it is. Um, right? Yeah, no it just, matter how it matters so. It matters so deeply. I, I write in the book and I didn't initially have this chapter in the book, but um, my editor suggested, she was like, what are some of the things you hear about black women that just are soul crushing, that feel death dealing, that set up a climate, um, thinking about Christina Sharp's work and in the wake of climate of anti-Blackness, this kind of climate of massage noir. And I was like, wow, I think about how even the monikers that are supposed to be affirming demand labor from us and demand that we don't experience joy. So I look at specializing in the holy impossible, right? The motto from Nanny Helen Burroughs 
the National Training School for Colored Girls. And that's been us. We're lifting as we climb, right? You got to climb and lift. You got to mm-hmm. do all of that. You have to save America, that an America that consistently beats you down. There's yep. never a point in the history where that's not true. Yep. And yet there's that expectation of caretaking and just a tenacity that we're supposed to have that's otherworldly with regards to being run down. And so to resist that, I had to actually do what I was calling for in the book of saying, it is impossible today to write about this violence because Rihanna Taylor was just killed while she was sleeping next to her partner in a room. I couldn't write. There's a part of me that wanted to because it meant so much to each story means so much. Each story of this brings us closer to understanding the full picture and the gravity of what's happening. But I knew I couldn't that day. Yeah. I knew I couldn't that week. And so I committed to joy that week as a practice, as a way to get back in the flow of saying, I want to fight for a world where she's still here and experiencing joy and giving us fly Instagram photos yes. and all that good stuff. I want that for us and we have to create it in spite of and so this book had to align with the very thing that I was calling for writing this book could not be a project that I was completely weighed weighted down by and not experiencing any kind of joy while watching it yeah yeah thank you so uh, are you referring to the chapter called we were not meant to survive so Okay. Yes. So that, I believe this is so funny. It's like, I feel so distant. (laughs) Um, But yes, there's a lot of that in there. And um, it is really parsing through that of all of these things. I'm talking about opioid patients now and how we were crack whores and crack babies. Um, The way that we imbibe strong black woman in various iterations of that. And it becomes a badge of honor. And I know so many incredible people, incredible black women have already pushed back against strong black women and and have done that for decades. But I still find new iterations of that amassing time after time um, in response to what we endure. And I wanted to call that in for us to see. I want the world to see this, but this is still for me, every project I do, I see that I'm accountable to black women, girls and gender expansive people. I feel like I am writing with and among, not just about or to, but that is who I'm in conversation with. I want other people to read it and get it, but I want black girls and black women to feel seen by it. And so that moment of describing the first time I, heard a your mama joke and, and what that meant and what that meant in a community where a lot of mamas were struggling with addiction. Yeah. What did that mean? Yeah. And how different that looks when the mother is white and affluent and there's a public health response as opposed to a criminalizing response. But we take that on. We joke about it. We laugh about it, which is also within our traditions too. Yes, our coping mechanism. Right, how Mm -hmm. we cope, how we get by, how we survive. But I'm also like, let's look at the ways that we survive and cope and be intentional about resting 
from that, the misogyny that undercuts that, the patriarchy that undercuts that, the ways that capitalism impacts that, the ways we've internalized anti-Blackness. And that internalization manifest in very violent interactions intra-communally too, which was yeah. probably the hardest chapter for me to write was about intra-communal violence because these are people I love and I feel accountable to and also are folks who are perpetrating harm. And so yes. we have to be honest about that and still be concerned about the ways that that then feeds into pathologizing and criminalizing narratives about Black communities. And so we're walking this tightrope in doing that, but we have to walk it. There's yeah. no way to get to the other side if we don't name it, if we don't identify it, if we don't say we deserve better, all of us deserve better than these death dealing systems. It's the top of the year and many of us have recommitted to taking better care of our bodies. And if you're with me, let me enlist you in on a cheat code, Athletic Greens. In order to ensure that I was giving my body the proper vitamins and nutrients, I used to take a handful of assortments of big old capsules. Child, I'm talking at least five to six separate pills each and every day. And if I was in a rush, I'd skip them all together because I didn't have the time. However, one tasty scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 minerals, vitamins, and whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more that all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in my diet, increase my energy and focus, aid with my digestion, and support a healthy immune system without the need to take multiple products or pills. I've made my routine so much simpler while ensuring that I give my body what it needs. So join me. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash bewellsis and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Yes, a free year supply of high quality vitamin D to help ward off the winter blues, upregulate your immune system, and so much more when you redeem your offer at athleticgreens.com slash bewellsis. You know, sometimes I am, um, as you're talking, I'm thinking about, um, how do I put this? I, I think about the public Black men in our community who too often like perpetuate like the violence against us. Sometimes the mental gymnastics that I do on my own mm. personal, like I, I love black men, I'm married to one, I'm raising two, but the gymnastics that I have to do to love, also hold accountable, also really, I hate to say it, have my guard up because of the violence that's been done against me has yes. been from my own, right? Um, yes. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not even sure where I'm going with this, but something you said just triggered that thought. Um, it's, it's so heavy, sis. It's so heavy. And I, I was so like, oh my gosh, they're going to use this chapter mm -hmm. against men, boys, masculine folk that I love and I care about. And I had to be like, that's not my weight to carry. Right. Like, I don't, I, I'm not carrying water for white supremacy or patriarchy. Right. Neither one of those gets us free. Mm -hmm. Right. And patriarchy 
is also a reason we see intramural violence across genders, right? That's not just specific to when a Black man harms a Black woman, right? When we see Black men and boys, particularly cisgender Black men and boys harming one another, that's still rooted in patriarchy and white supremacy. And so I'm like, there's an investment here in us all dismantling the patriarchy that we need to see that will keep us all safer. Yeah. And and by safe here, I don't mean in the safe and the carceral logics of safety. I'm literally talking about, so that feeling that you were talking about where like, I want to feel okay around my my folks, yes. <laughs> my kinfolk. Um, I want us to have that feeling of okayness and to fully be able to let our guards down around one another. And we can't do that if we're committed to patriarchy. We can't. Yeah. It's just simply not possible. You can't have Black liberation and think about patriarchy as a, as a guiding force, as a, as a structural reality within that. Those are incompatible if you're really about getting us free and getting us to new worlds and new possibilities. And there's so much more on the other side of that. I mean, that's usually the conversation I'm having with brothers. Like, let me tell y'all the ways patriarchy kills you. Right. Right. And I don't want to have to do that. It should be enough that it's killing me. But let me also tell you how death dealing this is for all of us. And being able to map that in this project and talk about my own encounters of violence, many of which are experiences with Black men, was so cathartic because there's so many things I held because Mm. I didn't want to be part of that criminalization of black people broadly I mean specifically cisgender black men but Mm -hmm. broadly black people right Mm -hmm. we're all impacted Mm -hmm. by that just in differing ways and so I I was so careful I I, and I'm still like on pins and needles about how that's going to be received uh, by these communities but you know, after my father passed a couple of years ago and he knew I was writing this book and this project, he's like, baby, call us in. He was like, just call us in. We, the love will come through because love is also a practice of accountability. Yeah. And you can't love me, really love me, if harm is the language with which you engage me. Mm-hmm. It's just not possible. And unlearning that is a process, but we have to start there with that practice of love, right? Thinking about Bell Hooks, thinking about June Jordan, um, thinking about sisters who came before who were giving us roadmaps for considering that, Pat Parker, who are giving us roadmaps to really think about how we engage lovingly, but truthfully. Right. And I was just going to say, you know, part of real authentic love is the truth element too. You can't tell me that you love me and you're not honest with me. So yeah, that was right for sure. Um, So what does it mean for us to, to, to not only just survive, but to thrive in a space where we have all of these chips stacked, up, stacked against us intentionally. What does it look like? You know, I, there are days where that is harder to answer than others. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think on my best day answers, the thriving is 
anchoring in the community and genius that we cultivated um, in spite of and alongside these death dealing worlds, um, that we've created life affirming worlds through the ways we love on one another, through the ways we compliment one another. Girl, I walk down the street and it's be like, I see you earring, okay, okay, shoulders. I mean, there is a nothing like <laughs> a compliment from black femmes, black girls, black women. Yeah. I mean, it's just nothing like it in the world. That's world making. And yeah. I think we underestimate the value of that because you might've gone that whole day and on one place you were just invisible and another place you were illegible and another place you were hyper visible and therefore attacked or maligned. And so that moment of, I see you locks, yeah. just re rejuvenates you. It gives you the fuel you need to get to that next moment. And that's a thriving moment. And so I think we have to take hold even of these ephemeral moments, these fleeting moments of that, while trying to build that fleeting into sustained practices of thriving that we have, right? And it is not only our right, right? It is something that is an ancestral inheritance to thrive. Right. Um, and by that, I mean that we love well, that we handle each other warmly, that we find ways to feel pleasure and connection and community and other regarding. So I want to divest it from this kind of we thriving because I got five degrees and this, that and the third. No shade to any of that as success, like always happy to see folks doing big things and moving in that. But the thing that I'm thinking through with ancestral inheritance is the ways we get to love on one another. Yeah. So many of our ancestors were denied the practice of being able to love and open in dynamic ways. And we have to forge the worlds to do that and then walk in that, move in that and move through that. Yeah. Um, that reminds me of, I think a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was like last month, I had a therapy session and I cut on that camera and she's like, how are you? And I'm just like, you know, I'm tired. I am so tired. I don't know what I was watching or what I was experiencing at the time. It's like, you know, it is hard. Like, I don't know what happened that week, but I'm like, it is hard being a black woman, being a black mother in this world. Mm. I think I was dealing with like getting my kid into school for next year. I'm just like, I am so tired. I'm exhausted. I just want to stay in bed for the next few weeks. And she was listening yes. to me and she just like, have you watched the, um, 1619 project I'm just like no she's like okay well if you have Amazon they have like one of this um one season is up she's like yes it is it's tough to watch but there's also something that I want you to to watch to to like feel in it mm -hmm. so I sat down one one Saturday and I watched it and exactly what you were just saying is what was conveyed to me it was less about the the struggle right? It was just about how good we are at love. And when I was watching it, my husband walked in, I'm just like, we invented joy. I'm convinced we invented joy because it's always been hard for us specifically on this continent. And we have always made a way to love and to love hard and to love big. And yes, mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's such a powerful force, which is why it was, you know, there went through hell to deny it to us and to try and create conditions 
that made it incredibly difficult for us to do that, right? And so that is why I'm ever determined to experience it, to live it, to create it, to build it, to ensure that that is a part of the worlds that we're building for, um, is that love. Because that is something that is timeless, boundless, capacious um, enough to hold just the beauty and the complexity of Black lives and Black histories and, and our kinships with one another, right? Um, so that, that thriving to me is like, you gotta reach into there, like the core of things, right? Not, it is that sensation that you said, that feeling that you get um, from a thing, from a connection, from community, from family, from your kids, from your loved ones that you feel, that, that moment is thriving because that was what was also being denied um, to those of us who were enslaved, those of us who were colonized, those of us who were in prison, those of us who were under detention and led astray. It's to disconnect you from mm -hmm. that kind of force because it is just that damn powerful. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. Just that powerful. You have a chapter that touches on the medical industrial complex. And there's so much I could say about this. Um, but my question for you is, um, if you don't mind me asking, are you a mom? And I am not a mom. Is what you've, what you've, what you know about the medical industrial complex and the black maternal health crisis does, yes. has that impacted your decision <laughs> to or not at all? Yes. Um, so I actually do talk about this in the chapter um, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit about what has, what are the contributing factors to thus far making a decision to um, not have children, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm someone, I have nine godchildren. So I have so many children in my life. <laughs> I guess I'm their fairy godmother. Um, and I love them. I mean, I, I love kids. I'm uh, auntie. I love being auntie. I'm, my friends call me the uh, aspiring. I'm kind of bougie auntie, rich auntie at this yes. point. I, rich <laughs> is very relative, but that will work with that. It's an aspiration. <laughs> um, but, you know, thinking about maternal health, thinking about every time I, I notice the feeling that I get when one, a person in my life, um, a black person in my life tells me that they're pregnant. My immediate reaction isn't just joy. I'm immediately terrified. And, and I have to really, I had to really reckon with that, that my immediate reaction isn't like, oh my gosh, we having a baby. Because as you know, it's the week, right? <laughs> it's, oh my gosh, we're having a baby. Oh, like right? that's in my mind that's real. because of that reality. And if we're talking about the book, I talk about, you know, we're talking Serena and Beyonce having, right? Serena literally almost dying. And so this mm -hmm. section is called dying to give birth. Um, and she's not listening to reporter. Imagine what that experience is for most black folks, right? Particularly black women yep. um, in there. And, and, it's just egregious, right? Um, and there's so many realms of care that, that is careless mm -hmm. that we are encountering in so many arenas. But I think the maternal morbidity 
crisis, the maternal mortality crisis. It's just, yeah. the more I read, the more I researched, the more stories that I pulled because it's such a story-driven book. Yes, there's the data that's there. There's the hard facts, but that meant a lot to have. But what meant more were the stories, these families who are devastated, communities that are devastated by this level of careless care. And when I thought about all of the reasons that up to this point, I decided not to, to parent, um, at least, or to go through a pregnancy, um, it absolutely resonated. I was like, I know I don't want it enough to possibly die. Like that, that much was clear as someone who had always, you know, not always, but had been pretty sure that she didn't want children, I, you know, more recently that assuredness came through thinking about this crisis and how, what my immediate reaction is when people tell me that they're pregnant. Yeah. Terrified. Yeah. Terrified. Yep. I get it. And yeah. And then I just, I can't, just being a parent in so many ways and, and seeing so much of what we see as a parent of a black child, I can, I immediately get the shambles thinking about the world that, my godchildren are encountering and so I can't even imagine the level at which parents um, experience that in a world that is fundamentally anti-black right I mean that that's at the core of it where you will be adultified where you will be seen as a threat I was like what's that age when a black child is no longer cute to to other people Five. right there's like the, there's there's like this cute moment yep and then it pivots and then i'll see a video of like a five or six year old yep. handcuff and i was like i guess it was somewhere before then yep that that light goes out and that adultification does such a number because the adult experience of being black is to be criminalized yep so we're just accelerating that for our babies I don't know that I could handle that. After writing this book, I don't think I'm any closer <laughs> to making a decision <laughs> to, to have a child, but you know, it, it, it impacts it. And I think it impacts a, a, a number of us with gestational yes. capacity uh, in terms of thinking about um, having a child, raising a child, um, what kind of care are you going to get irrespective of your resources? I yep. would have access to the best of everything and I'm still terrified. Yeah, that is so real. And as um, the world gets smaller because of like technology, Twitter and all those things, and we're talking to each other, um, that's a lot of what I'm seeing online is, you know, women of childbearing age who are, are, are Black are just like, I don't think I'm doing this. And I get it. I totally get it. I, I get it. Um, and then in thinking about parenting, I love my kids more than I love anything. And sometimes I have this guilt. I feel like, wow, I feel like it was irresponsible to bring them into this ugly world. And that's something that I talk to my therapist about constantly. It's just, yeah. it's just not fair. No matter how loving of a home I try to give them, I know that now my seven-year-old who looks like he's about eight or nine, um, he looks like he's now a, a, a black man essentially in the world. And it's just not fair, mm. you know? Um, mm. it, yeah. Like that weighs on me. And I know it's not just me. It, it's, it's most of us, you know, just dealing with, yes. with it. 
So with it, right? <laughs> with <laughs> it, it, right? Yes. The large looming it um, yes. <laughs> of it all, you know. And you think, you know, like you said, you create these loving environments. You you affirm. You do this, and and in some ways, it's like you're bringing such incredible beauty into the world um, by bringing these children into uh, an awful world, but. Then it's like, well, don't we need the beauty to override the right? It, it's all these questions. It's not uncomplicated, and you know, I I respect so deeply the choices that people are making around this because I don't have a right or wrong answer like designated or set out here. I just know that with my prior hesitancy before I knew the depths of just how bad it can be yeah. for black people giving birth. Um, I was already leaning towards, no, that kind of just sent me over like, oh, okay, we good <laughs> out here, right? Um, we die, I'm not dying to give birth. And oh my yeah. gosh, look at the way they cheat black children. Mm -hmm. My goodness, mm -hmm. my goodness. And so I, I get it and I feel so deeply connected to the many stories that I've read and engaged of folks who died to give birth and folks who went through such horrific experiences in the care systems that we have in this nation. It just is mind blowing. But when you know the history of the medical systems and you know, it's unsurprising. Right. right, it's unsurprising that you would see the afterlives of slavery um, manifest in our care. I, I don't know what the number is now. When I was writing the book, you know, it's one in every like four hundred black people had died from COVID. That's not it's not coincidental. That's no. not just how it happened. Right, right. <laughs> that, that is extremely connected to these longer histories and these conditions of anti blackness. So yeah. yeah, so deep, um, so, so layered. So my question is, cause, okay, for me, I'll give you some backstory. I have been really thinking about me and my family and I'm like, you know, I need to develop an exit strategy. We might need to leave the US. Mm -hmm. Have you ever considered leaving the US, not for vacation, but for like, for life yes yes um yes i have um at various moments more seriously than others um mm -hmm. i'm someone who's traveled a lot i wanted to travel a lot so i kind of got a sense of different places where i felt okay um or where it felt okay and, and interestingly enough some of that is like how black americanness moves around the world um when i was like wow okay being an usian has this kind of movement mm -hmm. whereas my black folks who I'm traveling with who are from Senegal or from mm -hmm. Rwanda having very different experiences, right? Yeah. So I've thought about that and it was a reminder and I think amidst the, the current very real crisis in Ukraine and Russia of seeing um, some of the treatment of black folks there, um, it just reminded me, I was like, where would that be for me? Like where in this world would the violence of anti-Blackness not be ever present, right? Wouldn't feel ubiquitous in the way that it does here. And then a place that I wanna be, right? So, and, and there were so many, I was like, let me think about this because 
the ways that we know internalized anti-Blackness works and how the vestiges of colonialism and the transatlantic slave trade um, operate throughout the world, it touches a lot of places. The way anti it can look very different, it can have different um, manifestations. But I was really curious about where do I go to escape this yeah. global logic yep. of violence? And and I, and I continue to think about it because it's something I probably would do it in so far as like my mother remains with me and like, she's like, I'm not moving nowhere. So I'm like, okay, right. I can't go out of the country. Um, now with COVID, it's like, wow, I can't leave. And then, cause I won't know when I can come back. So mm -hmm. I don't want to be that far from her, but you know. Lost your mind. I have now a couple of friends who have done that and have not looked back since. <laughs> like we are done. Yep. with the U.S. project. Whatever this is, has always been a failed project. It's on stolen land and built by yep. um, extractive violent labor. Mm -hmm. There's nothing but blood on this soil. Yep. So what, what does that mean for yep. a future here? And you mentioned what's happening in Ukraine. And I was looking at the news like, God damn, like y'all in the middle of a war and you have time to be racist? Racism takes no time. time off. My goodness. It's no sometimes time. I just can't wrap my, my mind around the hatred. I just, I just, yeah, I get all bent out of shape. My husband's just like, this, this is, this is, this is what it is. Course. Right. I'm just like, I just don't get it. Like I, I get it, but I don't get it. Like, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, I don't even know. It's just one of those. I'm just like, yeah, it's so disgusting mm -hmm. and yet unsurprising. Right. You right. know, it's like I had that moment of like, damn, eat too. Like that that moment of it, but it's not this large, like, I can't believe this is happening. Right. Um, that that that's never where I reside when mm -hmm. some moment of anti-black violence or harm manifests. I right. never have to pause for very long and wonder how that could be. It's like, yeah. this is a global logic. Um, yeah. White supremacy is a global logic. It, yeah. it, it is so virulent and it's so ingrained that a person in the middle of something that drastic and violent harm still mm -hmm. that's reverts to that logic. Right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. And that's very telling. Yep. And then I think about how, um, you know, countries are and corporations are, you know, like for example, Airbnb is like, okay, we're allocating this many hundred thousand homes to accommodate um, the Ukrainians and we're gonna bring the Ukrainians here too. And I think, yes, they deserve, you know, asylum, like nobody deserves to be swept up in war, but my people are Haitian and we are mm. constantly turned right back the, the people from Ooh. South America are constantly put in cages or just turned right back. And it's like, I hate that the humanity is seen only when you are white. And yes, it's not new. And it's always been like this since I, since before I was born. And it's not new to me, but it still enrages me. I just yes. it, like, it enrages me and then it saddens me. Like I get so mad, I feel so hopeless. So I just cry. <laughs> like. I'm a punk, yeah. I'm, I'll be honest. <laughs> but 
But look, I mean, I don't ever want to be, I mean, this is something I thought about a lot as writing this book. I don't ever want to be desensitized to this. I don't ever want to not be enraged and saddened and have a visceral emotional response when something harmful happens to marginalize and oppress people. I don't ever want to be so deep in the weeds of doing this research that I don't feel it as I'm doing it, right? So I know some people ask me, because I wrote this, like, did I desensitize myself as I was going through it in order to do it? It's like, no, there are tears on these pages. This was not about, this. that is actually at the core of this book too, that I didn't want to feel like, oh, and another one and another one. Like, that's not how I wanted it to feel. I wanted to be like, here is this story. She was loved by someone. She was cared for by these people and she's not here. No matter what happened to the person who harmed them, that person's never coming back. That is an irreparable hole. And so when I think about this current moment and watching the world stand with and just be so gung-ho about refugees and asylum and protection. I mean, it is, one, I'm like, I really wish this were a universal response to crises and war. I really wish we didn't have crises and war, but if this is, if we have it, I really wish this response for my folks, for my people, for my people everywhere, for oppressed people. I just, I can't imagine what folks, like you said, like Haitians, people from Yemen, people from Syria, watching this Honduras, um, watching this unfold, yes. watching the language, watching the open arms just get wider and wider. Yeah. Right. I, it is yeah. it is disorienting, but I appreciate being disoriented because it reminds me and it galvanizes me around the struggle for justice that. Yeah this is ongoing. These, these are us. These are us. Um, and so those images of, I was thinking particularly of Haitians and the, the whips and the horse, I mean, ooh, that just had me in bed for like, I, I didn't even know how to place that. Like, I didn't even know what to say. Yeah. Um, Same. Yep. It was unbelievable. So to have that and to have what we're seeing right now and then you tell me that there's fairness there's equity that it's a different situation i mean whatever excuses people have for their virulent racism and more specifically their virulent anti-blackness yeah oh that those images just yep i was undone yep I was undone. Yep. Yeah. Oh, this was such a good conversation. Normally I ask people to recommend a book, but I'm going to recommend a book to the audience. It's going to be America. Goddamn. Okay. So you're going to get that. It's on sale April 5th. So by the time this goes live, it will be available. I'll put a link in the bio. That way you can go ahead and click and purchase. We're going to make this a bestseller. Um, but <laughs> before we go, I would like to ask you, because we're touching on such heavy subjects and just life in general is, is not a walk in the park always. So what's something that's brought you some joy in the past 24 to 48 hours? Ooh, well, I actually got a physical copy of my book. Um, 
about 24 hours ago. So it's like the first time holding my book. So that was really, really exciting um, to do. So that was a great feeling. And I dedicated the book to my late father and to my mother. And I, you know, I just felt the ancestors with me in that moment that Mm -hmm. I, it just was a breath that Mm -hmm. I didn't know how much I needed that breath in that moment. And so that was really good. And Abbott Elementary will be back soon, which is like my new, I just love that show. Love that show so much. It is, I look forward to it every week. Why they have a three week break right now is stressing me out. Um, I know it's like, is is it three weeks yet? And it's like, it's been a day, Tree. <laughs> it's not been three weeks. I'm like, it's still not this week. It's the following week when it comes back. And I'm just, I'm so in love with that show. Um, and, and so instead, will it not be on? I just got pulled into Love is Blind craze. Okay. Uh, that is happening. tomorrow. But I did <laughs> Love is Blind Brazil. Get into that. Okay. All right, oh, I yes. will check that one out. Okay. Oh yes, that's I a whole that other. And Love is Blind Japan, for that matter. I, Japan, I watched okay. the whole franchise. Okay, dedicated. Um, <laughs> I became dedicated. I was like, look, if I'm not gonna get my prestige television, yes, I'm gonna go with just good old pods, reality television. But love is at the core. Is love blind? And the drama <laughs> of it. So that brought me that. And yeah, yeah. I'd say that is. You know, those are some joyous things. And yeah. looking forward to my homegirls coming to visit next week. Yeah. So yes. I get some sister love time. Yes. Excited for you. Um, Thank you. On, on a side note, I just love Abbott Elementary for so many reasons. I love the <laughs> the cast. I love how diverse the children are. Yes, the majority of the kids Ooh. are Black. But you see the, the gamut. Like, we are not a monolith. And I love that. And um, yes. I love Cheryl Lee Ralph. Yeah, Cheryl. Yes. She's finally getting her flowers again. And I'm so happy I'm here for it. So yes. All the things. Our original Mm -hmm. dream girl. Yes. Um, Yes. (laughs) The original Miss Dina Jones. Yes. Um, (laughs) You know, um, Dee Mitchell from Mm -hmm. Moesha, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Love me some Cheryl Lee Ralph. I love this role. She just reminds me of teachers that I had. My parents were both teachers. My mother was a teacher. She was definitely a Barbara. Um, (laughs) And then she was also a vice principal at some point, but she was not (laughs) quite like the principal and Ava. But love the character. Love, (laughs) but I love the fullness of her. Like Mm -hmm. that, spoiler alert for anybody listening, but a more recent episode when they had the stepping and you got to learn a little more about About who Ava is. Yeah. I just appreciated that, you know, up until that point, we're like, this woman is a mess. And then she's like, oh, still a mess. But right. Right. And just so heartened by a show that cares so deeply about each of its characters, including the kids. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the kid who was reading and he liked to dance and what he do, you know, and the parents, it's just a way of getting at so many things while focusing on the beauty of these spaces. And 
Salute, Quinta. I yes, mean, he, salute. He is absolutely doing it. I'm so, so, yes. I hate to say that I'm proud of her because I don't know her, but I'm proud because right. I remember her <laughs> yes. from, like, from the memes and stuff. And from like, memes? Oh, <laughs> Yes. And now she's like writing, like making incredible content. So I'm really, really happy. We we need this. So happy for her. Yes. So happy for this. her. So yes. <laughs> Yes, yes, and yes to Abbott Elementary. Come back yes. soon. We please, miss you. Please, and don't put no- <laughs> And then don't go away. <laughs> right. ABC, get it together now. Right. <laughs> Look, these ratings quadruple. This is like one of the, I mean, it mm-hmm. is, I think it, it, if it doesn't get renewed, it's going to be problems. It's going to be consequences and repercussions. Hello. If Talk that is not it. renewed. Right. And so let's, yeah. let's yes. wrap this up. Right. <laughs> but thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Treva, for your time, for your for your words, you. your thoughts, just sharing with me. I this was really, really good. I need this for my spirit and thank you. I appreciate you. you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you too. Of course, of course. Everybody, please go buy the book. Please go buy the book. Um, the link will be down below in the show notes. So it's an easy click for you to go ahead and get your copy. Hey sis, ever feel isolated while navigating the overwhelming amount of online wellness advice? Or have you tried wellness communities that either felt stale or just didn't feel right? The content and programming probably were great, but they just didn't resonate with you. Well, I am so happy to introduce the Inner Circle, which is a virtual community by Be Well Sis. It's a community of busy women who are curious about integrating wellness into their daily routines. Here, we're looking to answer the question, what does wellness mean to me? In the Inner Circle, we believe that it's more than just working out or plant-based eating, but also about your social connections, your routines, knowledge, and leisure. The goal of this community is to create an intimate, safe, and supportive space that champions you both on your good days and your bad ones. So listen, join us where our pillars are community, education, and accountability. We have members-only events to cultivate connection. We have monthly workshops led by soulful and just dope, insightful women. And we have accountability groups where you can be paired with a partner to help you get over whatever your hurdle may be. So join us at thebewellsis.com slash inner circle. Again, thebewellsis.com slash inner circle. Community is a foundation for success and I am so excited to see you there. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Be Well Sis podcast. For more information on anything discussed in this episode, please see the show notes and or visit www.bewellsispodcast.com. Oh, and don't forget to leave a five-star rating on Apple. Until next time, be well, sis.